0: Hello and welcome to the Westminster Libraries podcast. I'm Anne Carroll and each month I'll be asking a guest what books they have on their bedside table and what is under their covers. With me today is Alex Edmonds, Professor of Finance at London Business School. He's gained degrees in Britain and the United States, has published a number of articles, given TED Talks on what to trust in a post-truth world and The Social Responsibility of Business, which between them have racked up 2.3 million views. He's also the author of Grow the Pie, How Great Companies Deliver Both Purpose and Profit, and is a great friend to our own Paddington Library, where he did much of the writing of his book in the study space there. Welcome, Alex. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks, and It's great to be here.
0: Thank you. So we know you're a writer. Are you a reader too? What's on that bedside table?
1: Absolutely I am a reader but uh, I read quite different things to what I write uh, because when I write I write about business and finance and obviously to do that I need to read some as well in order to do research. So when I choose to read for pleasure I choose to read something in a completely different field. So the book that I've just finished is a book called Until Tuesday. So it's about a golden retriever. I used to have uh, Golden Retrieval when I was young, so I love books about dogs. But this one is, is quite special. So this was a uh, former U.S. captain in in the army who had. Um, post-traumatic stress disorder and this service dog just transformed his life so I thought this was really powerful um, not just uh, about a family having a dog which already is, is a huge component to, to a family but also how somebody's life was transformed through having a, a service dog
0: that is the amazing thing isn't it the the um the care dogs now it's a real growing um isn't it taking dogs into care homes and so on
1: Yeah, and also like while we've known for a long time that um, you can have guide dogs for those who are blind or partially sighted, what was really eye-opening for me was there are other people with perhaps less visible disabilities Um, who would really benefit from service dogs as, as well. So uh, we can tell if somebody has unfortunately had to have their limbs amputated through um, being in the army, but if somebody is, is mentally permanently affected, because post-traumatic stress disorder means that within crowds, you're extremely scared. Any person who's a stranger uh, might lead you to being vigilant. For that, a service dog is absolutely critical. But because, like mental health more generally, has been something that we have not given the same importance to as physical health. People don't uh, appreciate the need for service dogs. So he also talked about many cases in which he was not allowed to board a bus or go into a restaurant because he was not blind, even though by law in the US, if you have a service dog that is seem to be essential to you, and you're supposed to um, admit those people. So I think beyond me just liking the fact that it was about the human animal relationship, which I care a lot about, it also opened my eyes to the importance of of mental health and how um, people who um, have um, mental challenges these are things which are not fully uh, fully recognised by, by by others.
0: Indeed, it's the whole issue, isn't it, that problems are not always visible.
1: Absolutely. And this is also something that I I try to teach quite a lot in my class. So I'm a professor at London Business School and my job, as narrowly defined, is to teach people finance and business. But I also try to put a lot of emphasis on physical and mental well-being. So in terms of physical well-being, um, I take my students to Barry's Boot Camp, which is just at the end of Queensway. So a stone's throw uh, from Paddington Library because that gives them an introduction to to physical fitness and also mental well-being. I'll give talks about time management, about saying no and turning down requests, avoiding burnout and so on. Because if you start the world of work, some of them might end up in investment banks where you work 80 hours a week and the ability to manage time to avoid burnout is really, really critical, but we never place as much emphasis on that as teaching um, perhaps financial or technical skills. And if it's fitness, we're only teaching something like diets and exercise. Yes, those are important, but also mental health is important.
0: You sound like a very holistic teacher.
1: Well, I was really lucky because um, I, I learned um, from a, a great school. So I went to a Montessori school when I was young. I grew up in, in Berkshire um, and this Montessori school, it's called Dolphin. They emphasised a whole holistic aspect of, of teaching. So um, one is that um, it was a mixed school, which was not common for Um, selective schools but they made the girls play rugby the boys play netball and so on Um, and in my book Grow the Pie I will use female pronouns for the CEO throughout and there are many people who say to me that's really surprising because only male pronouns are used for the CEO because people assume that chief executives have to be male but because I grew up in this environment where both boys and girls were treated equally this was something which was pretty natural to me they um, encouraged everybody to be part of the orchestra. Everybody was part of the play, even though I was not particularly great at acting. When you <laughs> learned about um, the Canterbury Tales, they took us to the Canterbury. And when we learned about Hadrian's Wall, they took us to Hadrian's Wall. So um, this is an aspect of my life that I was really happy and lucky to have when I was young. And I think it's, it's really um, a great gift to have later because it means that you can appreciate things from all, all walks of life.
0: Indeed. And um, we'll discuss, I, I do hope, uh, grow the pie a little bit later. But uh, just before we leave that bedside table, is there anything else on it at the moment?
1: Yeah. So the next books that I'm reading are embarrassing, not hugely cerebral books. But when I was young um, and at this Montessori school, I used to love Agatha Christie. So I like the fact that um, there was always a twist and you're trying to work out who who did it. And uh, there was one book that I hadn't read out of, I think, the 79 that she'd written. And I finished that last month. It's called Endless Night. But then when I looked at the list of her other books, there are certain books there which I have read, but I completely forgotten. Now, there are obviously some some classics that you'll never forget, like And Then There Were None or Death in the Nile or The Merge of Roger Ackroyd. But there are a few other books where I remembered liking them, but I couldn't remember after yeah, twenty-five years or thirty years, what happened? So I'm going to start reading some of, of, of those again.
0: Oh, amazing! What did you make of um, *Endless Night*? It's a long time since I read it, but it, it was quite dark, even for Agatha.
1: Yeah, this this was um, quite a dark one. I think it's it's difficult for me to uh, explain it without giving it um, away. But there are a couple of um, quite quite dark ones, and that I think that's interesting because. Um, out of the 79 books, if they were all pretty much similar to each other, then um, then they won't be so interesting. So what was really interesting was was her breadth. And not only does she have some dark books, she has some books on international espionage and uh, ones which are closer to thrillers as well, rather than the standard uh, murder mystery in a village.
0: They, they say, don't they, that in, in troublesome times, people gravitate towards crime because there's always a solution, I guess. I think that's the, the reasoning, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and it's just not just the, the, the crime books that I read when I was as young, also I've started to reread some of the books that I did for my GCSE and A-level, so I did A-level, A-level in English, and, and that's quite unusual. I, I went to St Paul's School in, in Barnes, London, and out of the 160 boys in my year, nobody, nobody did both economics and English. other than me so so most of the economics people they also did sort of maths and chemistry and most of the people who did English they also did history and French and German and so on but I like to to um to have a bit of both so obviously economics is a is mathematical out of the the social sciences but I I always loved the English aspect to it because there is um, a lot of importance of being able to express yourself so it's not great just to write a great economic theory you need to convince people of its importance and uh, why it's something that they should be excited about rather than just being a a great theory
0: um you've mentioned little clues along the way I think um to what I was going to ask you next which is your professor of finance at London Business School what was your route to that post
1: So, um, as I said, I did an unusual combination of A-levels at St. Paul's School, so English, economics, maths and German. I then went to university and I studied economics and management at Merton College, Oxford. So, So why economics? It's because it has sort of this maths plus English, this science plus sort of arts combination. So you do have economic theories But they're not set in stone, so reasonable people can disagree as to should the UK be part of a single currency or not, or should taxes be higher or not, whereas with, say, the hard physical sciences, you might have a theory and it's either proven or not proven, so you don't have that, that debate. So I studied economics. I really enjoyed it. And then I went to work um, for Morgan Stanley, the investment bank in um, Canary Wharf. And that was a great job. And actually, I, I was treated very well. So there's many people who, who get worked very hard in an investment bank, but I was lucky to work with some amazing bosses. But then I decided to go back to study again to do a PhD at MIT Sloan in finance. So why did I do that? Perhaps it's because I, I, I just like I like to be a reader, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted some aspect of my career to involve writing. So if you're doing deals, you're doing a deal for one company. So you're solving one company's problems at that one time. Whereas if you write a book which could be read by tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, that could be something timeless. And similarly, with my talks like TED and so on, or um, the academic papers that I produce, Yes, you don't get paid as much as you do as an investment banker, but maybe your impact that you have on people could be much stronger, and so that's why I um, did the PhD, which was important for me to be able to do the research to be a professor, and then I was a professor at Wharton, which is um, part of the University of Pennsylvania, um, initially for six years, and then I moved back to London in 2013, and have been living in Westminster ever since.
0: Wow, <laughs> that's breakneck speed there. Thank you, that, uh, that really does fill in the, the rest of the, the CV. And now we know what your route is. And part of that is the, the book. Now, that, we know that um, you used that study space at Paddington Library when you were writing Grow the Pie. What drew you to that place?
1: So in order to, to write a book, you need what often people refer to as flow, which was unbroken uh, chunks of time. So I have a very nice office at London Business School, but sometimes you might get interrupted um, by colleagues who just want your ideas and some research that they're doing in. And so I thought, well, when I, when I am I in the best state of flow, when I, can, I, can I fully focus? It wasn't actually when I chose to work from home because it, I find it hard to concentrate for hours on end. But when I think of um, when I was on a plane, if I was to fly to the US, then I would have eight hours of unbroken time. And also what was nice was there were other people around me working. And so that environment of being in a studious place was, was very powerful. And so this is why I thought, well, let me try to work in, in a library. And because I live basically five minutes walk away from Paddington Library, I was really lucky to, to, to find the library. And you have not just the ability to obviously to borrow books, but also some shared study space with, with power sockets as well. And while that, that last thing might seem trivial, I've been to other libraries where you don't have a, a power supply. Mm-hmm. So I'd go there and there'd be other people around me and I would recognize the same faces um, each time I went but obviously we didn't talk because it was a quiet study space and I really uh, appreciate how people respect that but it was nice to see the same faces and we all knew that everybody here was working on something so some would likely on students some might have been just working on other things and I would just go there um, with my laptop and um, start to to write my book and sometimes I would have the laptop because I needed the Wi-Fi access in order to do the research. And I really appreciate that there was the Wi-Fi access at Paddington Library. Although sometimes I thought, well, let me actually not take my laptop at all. And I take hard copy pieces of paper with chapters that I had already written. And I wanted to rewrite them and go through them. And it was really nice Not having any device which would have Wi-Fi so that I could fully focus and um, be fully dedicated to the task at hand, just like if you're on an airplane and then you don't have Wi-Fi. So I just love the fact that it was quiet. You have other studious people around you who are working and that encourages me to work much more than I was at home on my own when I might think well let's start to watch tv or something.
0: Wow that's a great selling point for Paddington Library thank you so much we really appreciate that. Um, Can you give us a flavour of your book Grow the Pie?
1: Absolutely. So maybe the best place to start is the subtitle of the book, which is how great companies deliver both purpose and profit. It's about how businesses should serve wider society rather than just making money. And so that's what I mean by purpose. Now, often people think that if companies are to start serving society, let's say investing in their employees, reducing their carbon footprint or trying to lower prices to customers or provide excellent customer service, this is at the expense of profit. But what I show based on a lot of the research I've been doing as a professor over the last 15 years, is that actually, if you're investing in your employees and investing in society, your company becomes more successful in the long term. And so that's why it's called grow the pie. So many chief executives have the view that the value their business creates is a pie. And so any part of the pie you give to society is at the expense of shareholders and profits but actually what my research suggests is that if you are to invest in society you're actually growing the pie the entire pie gets bigger and also profits become bigger and you might think well that sounds a bit like wishful thinking it's too good to be true but that's what uh, 15 years of research has has shown so for example if you're choosing to give your employees more parental leave than the statutory minimum flexi-time working policies days off of Yes, maybe that time off costs you a little bit, but it's repaid many times over in terms of better employee engagement, better motivation, greater attention, and also people are more likely to join to begin with.
0: I love the way you've structured the book. I think, as I understand it, you want it to be a, a, a book with general appeal. And so you recommend particular chapters to particular readers, Sort of general interest, go to chapters, blah, 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 and then investors business leaders you also have little summations at the end of chapters these kind of bullet points and and I thought that made it incredibly user-friendly. Thanks so
1: much Anne it's it's really gratifying to hear that you you noticed this because I did want to make the book accessible for a general audience that's something I intentionally try to do so you might think on the face of it It's a business book, so it should be read by executives and investors and perhaps business school students. But I wanted to make it accessible to a general audience to give them an understanding about how business works. Because often our views on business might be skewed by the media. And the media sometimes has the incentive to portray business as being evil and being only about profit. And obviously, if you have a story about how a company mistreated its workers or price gouged customers, that's going to make the headlines. But there could be thousands of other companies that create value for society, but they don't get covered by the newspaper because that's not exciting reading. So the goal of my book was to present a fair and balanced view of business. I wanted to make it engaging with some stories and um, a- anecdotes to bring it to life in the same way that when I give a TED talk, I will try to make it dynamic. So I think part of the effort, and this is part of what I was able to do in Paddington Library, when I would write and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite the same chapter all over again, was to try to make the writing as crisp as possible, as jargon-free as possible, so that it's accessible to a general audience. you
0: Talking about stories, and and I think that's that's one of the one of the beauties of the book. They, you tell some lovely stories, particularly right at the beginning, that really pulls people in. There are some really positive stories. Um, there's the, the the river blindness drug, um, and and you also make some nice analogies. I really liked um, when you said, um, I think it's uh, everyone knows the the Robin Hood story, the um, Robin from the rich to help the poor. But you don't get the same emphasis on the story of the elves and the shoemaker, where the elves worked to help the shoemaker and nobody lost out. I, I really think that that's that's it in a kernel.
1: Absolutely. And let, let me just elaborate on that last story. So often people think that a business leader who's purposeful and is enlightened is one that sacrifices profit. So the CEO would say, I'm going to give up half my pay in order to um, pay my uh, employees more. She would be seen as being a, an amazing leader. And yes, for good reason, that's something which is is actually, uh, which is really helping wider society. But if instead a CEO was to say, oh, because we've, we were launched this new strategy and it was successful, I'm able to pay my workers more. And I'm also able to offer lower prices to customers. She might not be given the same applause and praise as she would do if she had to sacrifice something. So this is why we know the story of Robin Hood. He robbed from the rich to give to the poor, that's seen as great, whereas the elves and the shoemaker, right, they work together, so the elves make some shoes for the cobbler. Nobody loses out, Right, the pie grows, and it's actually better to have the outcome in which everybody benefits, and nobody has to sacrifice.
0: Alex, thank you so much for taking part today. It's been so interesting to hear your book choices and indeed about your book and and your career. And uh, before we go, just a reminder that you can find out about our library services, physical and virtual, by going to www.westminster.gov.uk forward slash libraries. And that's including how to sign up for today. Thank you so much, Alex, again.
1: Thank you so much, Anne. It was great to be here and thank you to everybody for for joining in and uh, it was great to write Grow the Pie at Paddington Library and if I write a second book, I will definitely uh, use the shared space as well because it was just a fantastic place in order to focus.
0: We will really look forward to that. Um, Thank you everyone for listening and do please join us again for another edition of the Westminster Libraries podcast under the covers. Goodbye.